President Donald Trump gave a speech about his Asia, Asia trip yesterday. Here's the coverage from the CBS Evening News. President Trump today gave an account of his Asia trip that appeared for a time might run as long as the 12-day journey itself. His mouth got so dry he had to stop and search for a bottle of water to quench his thirst. And a few minutes later, it happened again. You'll recall Mr. Trump on the campaign trail mocked then-rival Marco Rubio for taking a water break as he delivered the GOP response to a State of the Union address. Within moments today, Senator Rubio pounced with this review of the president. Needs work on his form, has to be done in one single motion, and eyes should never leave the camera, but not bad for his first time. Tweet revenge. So, so that was 44 seconds long, and unfortunately, that left CBS no time whatsoever to cover the corruption trial of Democrat Senator Bob Menendez, or all, as he is also known by me, Sleazebob No Pants, who is widely believed to have had sex with underage prostitutes while taking bribes from his eye doctor buddy. And while every establishment Republican and his mother is calling for Roy Moore to step down, Democrat leader Dick Durbin had this to say when he was asked whether he would call for Menendez to step down if he was convicted. If your colleague, Senator Bob Menendez, New Jersey Democrat, is convicted on the corruption charges, he's on trial right now, the jury is still deliberating, will you vote to expel him? I'm not going to get into the hypotheticals <laughs> on either of these situations. As I said, several steps removed. Uh, I'm hopeful that when all is said and done that Bob Menendez will be returning to the Senate representing the state of New Jersey. So why have the Democrats and the mainstream media lost all credibility in their war against Donald Trump? It is a mystery, but we're going to explore it today. Also, Dr. Sebastian Gorka is with us to tell us what is going on with the GOP. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. So I cannot believe that we are on the brink of the Clavenless weekend. I mean, I was in New York last week, and so my whole time is messed up. And it was like I woke up today and somebody had pulled the week out from under me like a rug, you know, and suddenly it was gone. But, but you can stave the Clavenless weekend off by going on iTunes and signing up to subscribe to Another Kingdom, the fantasy suspense story that I, am, that I wrote and that Michael Knowles is brilliantly performing. It now has over 650 five-star reviews and it's over 100,000 downloads. It really, uh, people really do love it and I would love it if you would sign up for it. It really helps us. It, you know, people were writing in yesterday. I got a couple of different letters people writing in say, telling us to stop picking on Michael Knowles, make him a star, and then maybe, maybe we'll stop stop picking on him. But not, and if you do like it, don't just subscribe and leave a rating. Also, tell your friends. We really want to uh, push this up as far as we can, and then maybe we can move it to the next level. And uh, you know, who knows? Maybe you know, sell it to some other people as well. All right. Uh, so, oh, 
Texture, one of my favorite sponsors. I love Texture because, I love Texture because it's like heroin. You know, everybody loves heroin, right? But this is like the app version of heroin. You don't, it's really cool because you don't die, but you do get all these magazines in a single app. So it's like over 200 premium magazines with leading titles like Time, The Atlantic, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, and Wired. And right now, you can try it for free. I don't know. I don't even know why I have to sell people this stuff. I'm giving it away. This is like Texture is this app that just it gives you unlimited access to over 200 premium magazines. It's free. It's better than print because you can search it. You can go back into back issues and all these stuff. Uh, you know, and, and magazines, I, you know, I was talking about my sister, Caitlin Flanagan, writes for The Atlantic. The Atlantic is in here. You know, it's just you get a certain depth and a kind of uh, reporting and uh, skill, a skill level that you just are not going to get on the daily newspaper. You're not going to get it in blogs. Magazines have that. And you can really, this way, when it's Thanksgiving, you'll have all this information to argue with your relatives for. And you won't have the magazine to roll up and hit them with, so you won't get in trouble. You just have to actually hit them with your iPad. <laughs> but this is, uh, um, it will, I'm sorry, it, it will, uh, let me see how I, how I can get you this for free. I'm sorry, I was looking but just to make sure you do get it for free. You get your favorite magazines. They're back issues anytime, anywhere. You can search it, save them, highlight stuff. And to start Texture for free, go to texture.com slash Clavin. Texture.com slash Clavin, K-L-A-V-A-N. If you choose to continue, podcast listeners will get Texture for just $9.99 a month. That's over 30% off the listed price. And I mean, if you, if you subscribed to a, like a couple of magazines, you'd be paying that, but now you get 200. Uh, there are also great gift options available for the holiday season. You can give texture to someone you love who you want to just, if you want them to disappear into this app, because once you start reading this app, you can't turn it off. Go to texture.com slash Clavin, start your free trial today. Texture.com slash Clavin, texture.com slash Clavin. You know, I, I have this, I want to talk about, uh, oh, the, the hypocrisy, the amazing hypocrisy of the Democrats during this uh, sexual scandal. We've now got, uh, what's his name, the comedian guy? Al Franken. Al Franken. This is a, an amazing story. But I, I just have to say, yesterday I had a conversation with uh, Stephen Wilford, the guy who shot the Texas church shooter. Uh, his, his daughter contacted me. She liked the show. She liked what we had to say about them. She just wanted to say hello. And so I called and Stephen was there. And um, it was really uh, very inspiring. He was, we had a quite lengthy conversation. I don't want to give you know, personal things away, but he said this on, on the air already, so it's nothing secret. Uh, just his talk about the Holy Spirit and how he felt that God had used him as a tool, his sense that he was armored in the armor of God as this guy, this evil guy was armored in his you know, flak jackets and stuff and his, how calm he was. And I was just saying to him, you know, like, this is what people need to hear, especially when you've got these guys pounding the Bible and pounding their Ten Commandments and all this stuff. I think it's really important that people hear that the Holy Spirit is not about good luck and good fortune. The Holy Spirit is there to bring you to this level of excellence and perfection and bring your life to its fruition. And it was really a beautiful thing to come out of, um, to come out of just an obviously one of the worst tragedies in American modern history. It was a beautiful thing that something, that only God could bring something beautiful out of that. And obviously that's not to negate all the tragic stuff. It was a great conversation. Maybe we'll have him on uh, during the Christmas season. Talk to me. He was going off on a hunting trip, so maybe we'll uh, have him when he gets back. So the Democrats have lost. I mean, this thing with Roy Moore keeps going on. More accusers, Trump 
declined to say anything about it. Mitch McConnell is now floating some desperate plan. <laughs> it gets more and more complicated every time I hear about it. He's going to, what's going to, Luther Strange is going to resign, and they're going to call for another special election, and then an angel of the Lord is going to descend on a rope. You know, it's going to be like this deus ex max. I don't know, Mitch, Mitch may have lost it a little bit. He's going, yeah, and then we'll, we'll pull off, and suddenly a, a senator will come out of the ground, and it's going to be great. You know, I think, I think the pressure may be getting to it. The one thing I do have to talk about, but I'm going to get to the Democrat hypocrisy, which has just been insane. But I have to get to the evil robo-Jew. I love the evil robo-Jew. This guy is calling. <laughs> you know, a robocalls when uh, you get these automatic calls, it's a recorded voice. And so in Alabama, where Roy Moore is running for senator, they're getting these calls that pretend to be from the Washington Post ready to buy, pay somebody off to accuse Roy Moore. So the point is, obviously, the Moore, somebody on the on Moore side is trying to make it look like the Washington Post is setting Moore up. So here, you got to hear this. It's great. Hi, this is Lonnie Bernstein. I'm a reporter for the Washington Post, calling to find out if anyone at this address is a female between the ages of 54 to 57 years old, willing to make damaging remarks about candidate Roy Moore for a award of between $5,000 to $7,000. Bernie Bernstein. We will not be fully investigating these claims. However, we will need a written report. <laughs> just that's Bernie Bernstein. He's got that nasal, like, whiny voice. I just could have called him, like, Shlomo whiny face. You know, Chaim. <laughs> it's just this anti-Semitic thing. And I'm sure, I, you know, I don't know if it comes from the campaign or just from somebody. It must have come from somebody because doing a robocall is not easy, you know. I mean, <laughs> anyway. But the Democrats are in this problem. You know, they, they've got this problem that they— don't want to lose power either. And since, of course, sin is not something that goes according to party, you know, it is it is interesting to me that everybody in the establishment Republican Party is ready to throw Roy Moore under the bus and then back it over him and then do it, you know, back, go back and forth over him, not just throw him under the bus. They want to run over him. But the Democrats, eh, not so much. Now Al Franken is there, a, a, a news, a local newswoman in L.A. named Leanne Tweeden. She was a, a model at the time in 2006. She went on a uh, USO tour with Al Franken, and he was a comedian then. And of course, USO tours, obviously, they're all these guys, they're far away from home. They give them a little, you know, double entendre sex stuff. And, you know, Bob Hope used to do it with Raquel Welsh in, in the old days, you know. And so she played along and all this stuff. Franken, Mr. Class, says to her, oh, but we have to rehearse the sex stuff. And she just thought she was going to be a narrator. And she said, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't need to rehearse. We, I know how to do this stuff. And he said, no, you have to. And of course, grabbed her, mashed his face into her, according to her, uh, and then stuck, he stuck her, his tongue down her throat. All, all these guys, they have the same, you know, didn't they ever hear bringing like flowers? I mean, <laughs> nothing, nothing. Is this their game? Is this what counts for a game when you're like a, a an SNL comedian? And worse, and, and not even funny, I mean, that's kind of, it's only funny because it's so sleazy. As they're flying home, she's in the transport plane, she falls asleep because they're exhausted, and she's wearing her flak jacket, and only afterwards, when she gets home, she sees the pictures, she sees that Franken grabbed her breasts while she was asleep, uh, which is actual sexual assault in my book. I mean, you know, you're, the woman is asleep, and there you have the picture. So I don't know how, you know, I want to see the Democrats start calling for Al Franken to resign. Uh, I don't think so. Nolte, our pal John Nolte over at Breitbart, he, he sent out a tweet saying, He's going to resign and they'll replace him. I don't buy it. I do not believe it. I don't think the Democrats. I mean, this is the thing, you know. They, they, they just are. They, 
they're not going to do it. They're making this big show of, oh, yes, we have to have a reckoning with Bill Clinton. We must have a, a reckoning with Bill Clinton. But they're doing it now. I mean, this guy, Bob Menendez, here's Michelle Malkin writing about the Bob Menendez trial. And you may not know about the Bob Menendez trial because nobody is covering it. She says, Michelle says, I pronounce Democrat leaders, left-wing feminists, and Beltway journalists guilty of gross negligence and hypocrisy over a dirty, rotten sleazeball in their midst. For the past 11 weeks, Bob Menendez has been on trial for 18 counts of bribery, fraud, and corruption involving nearly $1 million in gifts and donations. The jury remained deadlocked as of Tuesday. A new media research, I think the judge has sent them back. They came out, said they were deadlocked, and the judge sent them back, gave them the dynamite charge. I think they're still uh, negotiating. A new media research center analysis reported that ABC, CBS, and NBC devoted 40 times more of their morning and evening TV newscast coverage this past week to Alabama GOP Senate candidate Roy Moore's alleged sexual assault accusers than to the ongoing federal trial of one of the Democrats' most powerful, visible, and entrenched figures on Capitol Hill. Uh, four years ago, when the FBI raided the Florida home, of creepy Democrat donor and eye doctor Solomon, Mel Solomon Melgan Menendez suddenly remembered that he had failed to pay back his hermano $60,000 for private jet flights to the Caribbean where Melgan owns a Tony home in the private Casa de Campo. And, you know, they were, they were with underage hookers and this whole thing. It's just a sleazy, sleazy story. <clears throat> they're not covering it. So they're still doing the same thing. They are still doing the same thing. And so Ala Pundit over on Hot Air wrote a piece called Please Democrats, No More Op-Eds About How Terribly Bill Clinton Behaved 20 Years After Any of It Mattered. Because now, <clears throat> by throwing Clinton under the bus, they're not risking anything, right? Because, you know, she lost, Hillary lost. So they're, they're not risking anything. He says, only now, 20 years later, with the Clintons at the nadir of their political influence and a storm of sexual misconduct allegations in the media raging against left and right-wingers alike to provide cover, only now is it safe for them to say, yeah, in hindsight, that wasn't very woke of us. Democrats had an opportunity just 18 months ago to reckon with Bill's behavior and Hillary's enabling of it by denying her their party's nomination, and they punted again. And this is... This is the important thing, because people keep saying, yeah, back in the day, we should have done this. They did this just, what is it, 11 short months ago during the campaign, right? Well, let's, let us go, let's get back in the Wayback Machine, you know, <laughs> who was that? The dog in the Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons, who was always using the, uh, Mr. Peabody or something like yeah. this, we go back in the Wayback Machine. First, let, just for, for the younger folks who don't remember this, Bill Clinton lied about having an affair under oath, and they brought him uh, before, I guess this was his impeachment hearing, is that what this is? I think, yeah. And and they questioned him. Uh, first, this is not this one, it's, um, yeah, it's number seven, right. And listen, listen to this guy answer the question, did you have a sexual relationship with this woman or not? You have your relationship with Ms. Lewinsky, the statement that there was no sex of any kind, in any manner, shape or form with President Clinton was an utterly false statement. Is that correct? It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. <laughs> the meaning of the word is, is. And, and he also had one where he's the, what's the meaning of the word sexual? Because, you know, is, is it really sex if the girl is, 
you know, uh, is giving you oral sex. I remember when that came out. I said to my wife, could I, could I get away with that? You know, <laughs> and when I regained consciousness, you know, <laughs> you go home to your wife. Yeah, you know, there's a little oral. It's not really sex, you know. Once you put oral in front of it, it's not sex anymore. You know, I, 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 I'd like to meet the wife who goes for that. <laughs> well, Hillary. Hillary is the one because she was his mall. She was basically hushing this stuff up. So just let's just take a look at this. I mean, I, leave my mic on so I can describe it a little bit. Here is... Bill, after he escaped uh, actually conviction, be, being convicted, here is Bill justifying himself. But what's interesting about this is all the Democrats standing behind him. I have accepted responsibility for what I did wrong in my personal life. And I have invited members of Congress to work with us to find a reasonable, bipartisan, and proportionate response. That approach was rejected today by Republicans in the House. But I hope it will be embraced by the Senate. I hope there will be a constitutional and fair means of resolving this matter in a prompt manner. Meanwhile, I will continue to do the work of the American people. We still, after all, have to save Social Security and Medicare for the 21st century. We have to give all our children world-class schools. We have to pass a patient's Bill of Rights. We have to make sure the economic turbulence around the world does not curb our economic opportunity here at home. We have to keep America the world's strongest force for peace and freedom. In short, we have a lot to do. So yes, I'm a rapist, but stand back while I save the world. And you couldn't really see it because the picture is too small, but Al Gore is back there. All the big Democrats are standing behind him. Basically, he's been impeached, and he's hoping the Senate won't convict, and he knows the Senate won't convict. And, you know, all the big Democrats are standing behind him. So you can say, well, like again, you can say that's 20 years ago. But now, right, they're running—Donald Trump is running, and Donald Trump is not going to play by the rules, and he's not going to let the uh, media cow him into not mentioning this. The fact that Hillary covered up—helped Bill cover up for this all along. He could not have gotten away with it if, if Hillary had exploded on him and just said, <laughs> if, I, that's it, I've had enough. You know, he couldn't have gotten away with it. So here is a montage of the press protecting Clinton just 12 months ago. Tonight, Donald Trump proving nothing is off-limits dramatically intensifying his attacks on former President Bill Clinton's history with women. I looked at the New York Times. Are they going to interview Juanita Broderick? Are they going to interview Paula Jones? Are they going to interview Kathleen Willey? In one case, it's about exposure. In another case, it's about groping and fondling and touching against a woman's will. And rape. And rape. The rape accusation is decades old and discredited. And big settlements, massive settlements. $850,000 for Paula Jones. lots of other things. They were referring to a trio of women who say Bill Clinton made unwanted sexual advances in the 80s and 90s. Mr. Clinton denies it. Two of the cases were plagued by factual discrepancies. Still, the accusations linger and will be a focus of GOP ads against Hillary Clinton. She politically attacked sexual harassment victims. <laughs> It's like, it's a discredit. You know, Roy Moore is saying that the, guy, the woman who accused him of assaulting her when she was 16, he's going after her big time. He's, you know, saying her yearbook is a forgery, and uh, she, she said she never saw him again, but in fact she came before him in a divorce case and all this stuff. I don't hear, I don't hear the mainstream media now saying that she's been discredited. 
you know, I, I don't know whether it's true or not. A lot of these things sound credible to me. I'm getting a lot of letters from you guys telling me that I'm rushing to judgment on Roy Moore. I, I'm not rushing to judgment on Roy Moore. I'm telling you what I hear. It sounds credible to me. That's what I'm saying. But, but you know, they, when they say those things offhandedly, like, oh, these things were discredited, and it was years and years ago, that's them protecting him. So I just want to show you now. Hannity put out this thing where he said, you know, Roy Moore has 24 hours to prove that he hasn't done these things, which, of course, you can't prove a negative, but he want, Hannity said, come on, step forward. So Moore sent him a letter pointing out what he thought were discrepancies in this woman's case who says she he attacked her when she was 16, not getting out of the one who said he, he touched her when she was 14, and not addressing things like the fact that he was banned from hanging out at a mall. <laughs> that, that happened to you, Rob, right? You were banned from hanging. We were all, who hasn't, who, come on, who among us hasn't been banned from hanging out at the mall? <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on, you know? Anyway, so Hannity says, all right, I got the letter. I'm just going to stand back and let the voters decide. What I, like, what I like about these things, by the way, is you know, I don't always agree with Hannity. Hannity's very partisan, very pro-Trump, right, uh, very pro-Trump and all this stuff. I don't always agree with him. But the guy has integrity. He stands for what he stands for, and he tends to stay in the place where he says he's going to be. But the minute people disagree with you now, they immediately say, oh, he sold out to his sponsors. <laughs> I think Hannity is telling you exactly what he thinks. He may not be right. He may be wrong. But anyway, so he stands down, and Brian Stelter at CNN, the conscience, the conscience of the nation, right, goes after Hannity. Listen to this. Because there was some reporting that maybe Donald Trump was waiting for Sean Hannity to know what to say. <laughs> exactly. This is from our colleagues in Washington saying that the president has been very curious what Hannity and others on Fox were going to say on this matter. You know, Fox has not covered the Roy Moore scandal to the same degree that CNN and other news outlets have. Uh, I think Fox used it as an embarrassing story, perhaps a story its conservative audience doesn't want to hear a lot about. So Hannity spent almost his entire hour railing against Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, saying it's time for a reckoning about the Clinton sexual harassment scandal machine. Yeah, Hannity would much rather talk about the Clintons all day than have to talk about Roy Moore. Yes, so the 20-year defenders of a rapist and his mall, Hillary, are, are now hitting Hannity because he's let, saying, let the voters decide. I mean, these guys have no credibility whatsoever. And it's not that's not good for us either, by the way, because we want a good news, you know, uh, we want a, a good journalistic industry, and we haven't got one. All right. Let us bring on Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Uh, he's been on uh, before, uh, and he re doesn't really need an introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. He is a Hungarian-American military and intelligence analyst and former deputy assistant to the president of the United States, Donald Trump. And now you are a Fox News contributor, right? As of last week, Drew, yes. Congratulations. That's, uh, that's great. I, Thank I, you. I think you can, only, uh, you can only up the level of Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> and so, between that, on my, on my way to the studio in the uh, car service, I'm listening to Another Kingdom and enjoying it greatly. Oh, thanks very much. I appreciate it. Tell your friends. I, <laughs> I, I do. I do. <laughs> um, so you campaigned for Roy Moore. I mean, you went out and you went out with Steve and you were, you know, on the... On the uh, you know, on the campaign trail with them. Where do you stand now? What are you thinking now? 
Uh, I'm thinking exactly what I said the first time these allegations came out. Um, we need to get to the bottom of them. Uh, unlike the Democrats, unlike the Clinton criminal cartel, uh, we don't hound women who accuse men of being rapists or doing sexually inappropriate things. So let's get to the bottom of, of it. But, but Sean is absolutely right. In America, we have the presumption of innocence. Uh, and on top of that, the timing is very weird, and if you look at the uh, the statement with regards to the uh, the signature in the in the high school yearbook that the lawyer gave yesterday, uh, this this is getting very very strange very fast. Let's get to the bottom of it as much as we can. Uh, but uh, you, look, Drew, you spoke about this the first time I was on your show. I've lived the smear world for eight months in the White House. We are in an environment right now where people will do anything. My dead mother's reputation was attacked because I worked for the president. My teenage high school age son was called a traitor by the left because I, look, it, it's just, it's out of control. It's, it's, we have to get to the bottom of it. All right, fair enough. Is there a point where you would call on Roy Moore to step down? Is there a point where you would just say, yeah, this stuff is true, it's too plausible, I can't... Oh. Yeah, if there, if there was a piece of evidence that wasn't he said, she said, uh, absolutely, I, I'd have no qualms about doing that. But, but at the end of the day, I think what Sean said is, you know, it's up to Alabama and the courts and the legal system to get to the bottom of this. So... So here's, here's my real question. This is the thing that has been bothering me about this story from the beginning, because I, like you, I don't know, you know, some of these women sound very credible to me, but you're absolutely right. There is a smear machine uh, in, in operation now that's like nothing we've ever seen before, like nothing I've ever seen before. And so right. I think, you know, we do have to presume people are innocent. But the one thing we can say about this guy is that he is not, he's an endangered candidate who is actually in danger of ceding one of the reddest states in the country to the Democrats at a time when we need every vote in the Senate we can have. This seems to me to call into question, it's, it makes Mitch McConnell look great. Mitch McConnell said, Steve Bannon is off there, you know, doing just what the Tea Party did, going out and picking out these offbeat candidates who can't win. So my question is this, I mean, do... Shouldn't we worry about Bannon's, the competence, the competency level of Bannon's civil war against the establishment GOP? Doesn't this raise questions about that? Drew, I was uh, formerly a deputy assistant to the president, but my immediate superior was Steve Bannon. And I can tell you, you can have issues with his style. You can have, you know, questions about how he dresses or what have you or combs his hair. He is the most strategic mind that I have seen in politics in the modern age. That, you know, to say that Mitch McConnell knows more about politics than Steve Bannon. When Steve took over the president's campaign, the president was 18 points down. Let's just remember that. 18 points down in August before the election. And what did Steve do? He turned it around. So, no, I have no problem with Steve's acumen. And the idea that Mitch McConnell and McCain are attacking Roy Moore, of course they're attacking Roy Moore. Why? Because he wants to drain the swamp, and they are the swamp. So it's, it's, it's not a surprise that you know, these are the people arrayed against somebody who supports the president's agenda. All right, fair enough. The, the, other, the only other question I want to ask about this is now you go to another state. We've got the midterms coming up. 
And Steve Bannon stands up, and you know he is a barn. He delivers those speeches. <laughs> his rhetoric, his rhetoric is not moderate. Let's put it that way. He's, you know, he, was, <laughs> right. he uses the word war more than people who are actually in war. <laughs> so, so, so now he stands up, and and what's to stop the people sitting there and going, yeah, but you gave us Roy Moore, especially especially if Moore loses, which I I think would be a, a disaster in a lot of ways. Uh, just electorally, you know, just in terms of having votes. What's to stop people now from looking at him and saying, yeah, but you gave us Roy Moore. How do we know this guy doesn't have skeletons in his closet? How do we know you're vetting these people? Look, that, that, that's a hypothetical. I mean, everybody can have skeletons. You could have skeletons. In your, I mean, I've read your autobiography, so you're pretty <laughs> so open you, about so your you past. you know I have skeletons in my I know your skeletons. <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm not going to base the future of America on hypotheticals about people's past lives. Um, Steve has a very simple rule. I spoke to one of his key guys today. The rule is very simple. We're going to support you on two measures. Are you ideologically sound in terms of make America great again, the president's agenda? And number two, are you going to win? Do you have a chance of winning? But those are the two things. And if you don't have a chance of winning, Steve's not going to support you. I'm not going to support you because it's like President Reagan said, give me 70 percent of the loaf now. But I have to have the loaf. So if, if more loses, will you guys sit down and kind of rethink where, what you did wrong? I mean, will you reassess? I think I think politics is a constant uh, re-examination of of tactics and strategy, um, but I don't think you make one outlier the driving factor in your future political strategy. This is Alabama. Alabama is Alabama. It's like you don't use what happened in New Jersey to drive what you're going to do in Arizona. It, you know, they're different states. Uh, Judge Roy Moore is Judge Roy Moore. Okay. Um, now we're coming up on a year of Donald Trump. Uh, the, <laughs> which I know, I know people all across the mainstream media will be celebrating with little cakes and candles and things. Uh, it, it seems to me the, the the big attack on Trump, aside from all the nonsense, is that he doesn't have a big legislative win yet. But it seems to me that he has done a lot of things <laughs> that we, I, I would, as a conservative, I right. would just never have thought to see in my lifetime. Uh, is that is that a fair assessment? Um, I really like what you've said repeatedly on your podcast. I listen to two podcasts religiously. It's you and Chris Plant. And you said you weren't a big fan of this guy, but I'm going to judge him on what he does. That's what you do with human beings. Yes, there's what they say, but there's what they do, which is based upon what's in their heart. And, and I was on Fox last week and I was talking to Lou Dobbs and he says, is, is, do we already have a massive foreign policy legacy for the president? Is that what we're going to have to say after nine months? And I said, look, Lou, the trouble is I don't know which to choose or which is better. Look at foreign policy. NATO revitalized at 2%. ISIS crushed out of Mosul. ISIS crushed out of Raqqa. All our friends reassured in the, in, in the Middle East. Israel, the relationship rebuilt. And then China uh, told that we are here, but we understand that we're going to protect our friends in Asia. So, you know, the, the foreign policy uh, legacy is already there. But then look at the domestic, Drew. Lowest unemployment in 17 years, one and a half million jobs created, 3% GDP growth for two quarters that we were told was impossible, impossible for the, for the duration of the presidency. And then we've got a 73% drop in illegal migration on the southern border. And then just to cap it all, what would you say if, some, if a financial advisor came to you and said, Drew, give me all your money and I'll give you a 24% increase in, in, in one year? <laughs> yeah. And you'd say, you, you'd grab your wallet and run, right? 24, maybe 3%. 
we have seen the stock market increase by 24%. And you don't have to be a mucky-mucket Goldman Sachs to be happy about that. If you've got a pension, if you're a blue-collar worker and you've got a 401k, it's good for you. So, look, bottom line, he's crushing it. Mm -hmm. I think, I, you know, I think it's, it's inarguable. Some of this is on the regulatory reform, which, of course, gets no coverage because yes. it's wonky, but it's so important. It, is, it was one of the main things that I would talk about before the election. He really has been. I mean, somebody said on Fox today he was the Babe Ruth of regulatory reform. I think that's fair. I, I was in uh, Dallas yesterday, and I heard the latest figure. So when I was in the administration, we had a two-to-one rule. We're not going to bring one new regulation out of the White House unless two regulations are rescinded. Do you know what that figure is up to now? No. 16 to 1. Ah, that's great. That's we, great. Have, we have got rid of 16 regulations for every new one in the last 10 months. That's Babe Ruth, it is. I mean, if they, if, they, if they cut the corporate tax rate, so much money is going to come flooding back into this country. We're, going to, we're not going to have enough people for the jobs, really. I mean, it, it, is, it is amazing. So what, what's your big disappointment so far? What's the thing? I know you're a Trump partisan, and that's fair. You have a right to be a partisan. But what's your big disappointment with the Trump uh, administration so far? Well, I mean, look, personally, it's the reason that I resigned. Um, my, my, big, my big disappointment is... We were a merry band of, of, of brothers when we won the election. It was a tiny crew. When I first met the president in the summer of 2015 to advise him as a candidate, he had three people working in, in Trump Tower in New York. I mean, three people. Uh, and it didn't get much bigger by the time we won the election. So um, we've allowed lots of people into the administration who had nothing to do with the original agenda. And a lot of people from the Bush administration um, that really in many cases, are actually never Trumpers, but have been allowed into the administration. That's a problem for me. And that's why I left the building to say, I can do more for you, Mr. President, on the outside than on the inside. Uh, but sooner or later, that has to be fixed, because it, it's a cliche in DC, but it's absolutely true. Personnel is policy. We, we, if we are going to have eight years of President Trump, we cannot have policies undermined by people who, whose heart really isn't in it. Yeah. Now, you said, I remember, I think it was the last time you were here, you said you were predicting that a lot of these guys were going to start yes. to drop off. You're still predicting that? Yeah. December, January, I'm still holding that line, especially okay. at the cabinet level. There'll be some movement. Okay. And my last question, uh, the tax reform, I think they're voting on it in the House. I don't think they voted yet. W what do you think? I mean, this, it, the, the House seems fairly... Uh, yes, good. Solid. But the Senate, there's so little room and so much noise over there. Do you think it's going to there's going to be tax reform in the Senate? Uh, driving ahead just now, I was hearing there are rumors that the, the usual suspects uh, that, that, you know, fl folded on uh, Obamacare uh, are already making noises that they're going to fold on this in the Senate, the usual GOP senators. Um, you know, I pray to the good Lord they don't, because even for selfish reasons, if, if we don't give the American people uh, a Christmas, an early Christmas gift by reforming the tax code and, and making some kind of tax reform, even just a 50% solution, then they'll pay the price as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the milk toast uh, the GOP establishment, the rhinos, will pay the price as well, but they'll be taking it out of our hide as well in America's hide. No question about it. There's just no question about that. Dr. Sebastian Gorga, thank you very much for coming on. I hope you'll come back. It's always uh, really interesting to talk to you. And, uh, and thank you for the kind words on Another Kingdom. I appreciate it. Uh, I'd be delighted and keep doing what you do, Drew. Thank you. Thanks a lot.
Really interesting. I mean, you know, it, it reminds me of that Teddy Roosevelt thing about how, you know, the, there's no credit to the critic. It's only the man in the arena. And I think, you know, some of these guys are in the arena. We, we are, uh, it's, it's fun for us to attack them, and, you know, but it's tough to be out there doing it. Um, I, have to, I have to talk about uh, this, this, oh, this one thing about Mike Pence. Let me see if I can find this. Because one of the things I love, part of this whole thing of the hypocrisy of the left is the guy, one of the people who comes out of the smelling like a rose is Vice President Mike Pence, or as I, I like to shorten his name to just Mitch, but because I, I really do like Mike Pence. And he just stands for what he stands for. He says what he has to say. But remember, he came out and said, I don't have drinks with women alone. I don't have dinner with women alone. And oh my God, it was like, he was, he was like some kind of religious fanatic. But now, He's looking pretty good, you know. I mean, you compare him to all these guys with the things they do, and they're just just the sleaziness of it, you know. Just the the kind of low, uh, I, you know, the, the thing the thing about treating women like that is some of you may not realize this, but women are actually human beings, and when you treat them like that, you're actually just mistreating another a fellow human being. You know, you're taking somebody's body and you know touching it in ways that they, they don't want it to be touched, and it's just it's bad. You know, so Mike Pence is staying away from that, and also staying away from the danger to his reputation. Nobody can say bad things about you if you haven't been alone with them. But the New York Times, a former newspaper, they cannot, they just cannot bring themselves to give credit where credit is due. I don't suppose we have the knucklehead row uh, thing. Now, okay, we didn't call it up. Uh, but, but Caitlin Beatty over at Knucklehead Row of the New York Times says, when Harvey Weinstein's, what, what does he say? A Christian case against the Pence rule. <laughs> like, uh, when Harvey Weinstein's decades of sexual predation came to light last month, one could hear the soft din of schadenfreude from many evangelicals. Conservative Christians have long considered Hollywood to be a hotbed of moral libertinism wrapped in obnoxious moral superiority. I can't imagine where they got that idea. I, I don't know what, <laughs> what they were thinking. Mr. Weinstein's behavior has, was seen as an excess of an industry that celebrates sexual freedom. Consequences be damned. In light of Mr. Weinstein and other members of the Hollywood elite now being exposed for sexual assault, some Christian leaders have advocated that we recover the Pence rule. Vice President Pence has said he doesn't meet alone with a woman who isn't his wife. People may accuse him of being prudish and misogynist, but at least he will never be accused of Mr. Weinstein's sins. The Pence rule, or some variation of it, is common, though not universal among evangelicals, but it's often known as the Billy Graham rule. Today, many ministry leaders, she goes on and on about this, and she says, I know many Christians who keep some version of the rule. These men have good motives. Their stated intent, marital fidelity, is noble and one that I respect. But the Pence rule is inadequate to stop Weinsteinian behavior. In fact, it might be sanctified. It might be its sanctified cousin. It's the cousin of being Harvey Weinstein to not have... It's time for men in power to believe their female peers when they say that the rule hurts more than helps. <laughs> they just can't stop. You know, they can't stop themselves. But, but you know... It's like it doesn't stop women from being abused. It stops you from being in a position where you might be tempted to abuse women, might have a drink too many and do something stupid, or be accused of it when you don't have to be. All right, I, I just had to throw that in because I love every, everything the left does just blows up in their faces. And here we have Roy Moore blowing up in, the, in conservatives' faces, and it may really blow up, and that would be a terrible thing. But it's like they can't really take full advantage of it because they're so sleazy. The danger we're facing 
on the right, the danger we're facing is that we'll, we will become as bad as they are, that we'll start making do what they did during the Clinton era and beyond, that that's what we're trying to avoid. That's why some people are coming out so hard on Roy Moore, coming down so hard. It's not just people, in my opinion, it's not just people in the establishment trying to keep uh, a Trumpian rebel out. It's also people trying not to sink to the level of the Democrats, because that's how low the Democrats are. All right, let's go to Stuff I Like. Um, <laughs> I like this. We we need some. Don't we have stuff? I like music. Shouldn't we have like stuff? I like music. Maybe eventually. Uh, you guys, you guys. <laughs> where's where's the passion for excellence? Where's the... <laughs> all right. So so this, I, I want to talk about Leopold and Loeb. Have you guys ever heard of Leopold and Loeb? No, neither no. neither of you. Okay. This was last century the the murder of the century. Okay. And Leopold and Loeb were two young men, uh, Nathan Leopold Jr. and Richard Albert Loeb. And they, they were known as Leopold Loeb. They're two wealthy students at the University of Chicago who in May 1924 kidnapped and murdered a 14-year-old boy, Robert Franks, in Chicago. They committed the murder, widely characterized at the time as the crime of the century, as a demonstration of their perceived intellectual superiority, which they thought rendered them capable of carrying out a perfect crime and absolved them of responsibility for their actions. After the two men were arrested, Loeb's family retained Clarence Darrow, who was the star defense attorney of his day. Uh, he was counsel for the defense. Darrow's 12-hour-long summation at their sentencing hearing is noted for its influential criticism of capital punishment as retributive rather than transformative justice, and he saved their lives. He kept them from being hanged, uh, and they were sentenced to life imprisonment plus 99 years, but Loeb was murdered by a fellow prisoner in 1936. Uh, now, this is for those of you who know, I mean, Nietzsche had this theory about the Superman. The Superman was above moral considerations. He was kind of thinking of Napoleon, uh, somebody who would, was so superior to the run of the mill that he didn't have to uh, ascribe to morality because morality was just a construct. Uh, Nietzsche was always talking about, um, uh, you know, uh, today we would call it like relativism or something like this. He's kind of the father of that. He, Nietzsche is the father of that way of thinking, at least the modern father of that way of thinking. So in Crime and Punishment, Dost uh, Dostoevsky's great novel, and the novel that probably has affected me more than any novel in my life, it was written in 1866 before Nietzsche started to publish. But Dostoevsky, who, he was like a seer. He really was. He saw communism coming. He saw all this stuff coming. And he wrote a story about a student named Raskolnikov who gets it into his mind that he he is above the moral order, and he can commit a murder, and he commits a murder, and he finds out that there is, in fact, a moral web that he is responsible for. So he was way ahead of his time, and Leopold and Loeb kind of echoed this. And because it echoed this, and because it was such a wonderful cautionary tale about how the intellect can lead you astray, it is up there with Ed Gein um, as the true crime that has inspired more different fictional films. Ed Gein is the uh, weird serial killer who inspired Psycho, Silence of the Lambs, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. All of those are in some way based on Ed Gein. Leopold and Loeb inspired the first and probably the best picture he inspired was... Um, I'm sorry, it wasn't the first. It was the one that was closest to the case. It was a picture called Compulsion. This was in 1959, and it was based on a 1956 novel of the same name by Meyer Levin. Uh, it, Dean Stockwell and Bradford Dillman, who were both kind of handsome Dan actors of the times, very boyish, and they were always being cast in kind of sexually ambiguous roles because one of the things about this story that is so fascinating to me is that 
the boys thought they were doing this intellectual exercise, but it was clearly a, an act of homosexual violence. Their relationship was clearly redolent with homosexuality. The murder was redolent with homosexuality. And so their passion, they, they uh, didn't realize that their passion was driving them. They thought their intellects were driving them. So here is a moment where Dean Stockwell, they, these all had fictional names in the movie, Dean Stockwell is arguing with his professor as his law professor is trying to teach him about the great lawgivers of time from Moses on. I must agree with Nietzsche. Tribal codes and such do not necessarily apply to the leaders of society. No. No, Mr. Stein. I, I can't see where your friend Nietzsche's theories have any application at all here. Hammurabi, Moses, Solon, Justinian, they were all known as lawgivers. Actually, my question was whether Moses and the others felt that they themselves had to obey those laws. All men are bound by law, Mr. Steiner. And had Nietzsche been a lawyer instead of a German philosopher, <laughs> he would have known that too. Are you going to tell me that Moses felt himself above the laws that he laid down for his own people? Oh, I don't know, sir. He had a motley crew on his hands, and he had to get them through the desert somehow. <laughs> Can you cite an example of any of these men who failed to respect the law or the rights of the individual? Uh, can Nietzsche explain that away, Mr. Steiner? Oh, I think so, sir. If you've read him, sir, you'll remember that he conceives the Superman as being detached from such human emotions as anger and greed and lust and the will to power. And all completely beyond my comprehension, although apparently not yours or Nietzsche's. Perhaps my thinking is outmoded. So it's a, it's a wonderful scene of a man, and this I, I saw this happen uh, in the 70s to professors who could not answer the logic of relativism because all they had was the truth. And sometimes the truth, the axioms of the truth, an axiom is something that can't be proved. It's something that has to be accepted. It's what, what Jefferson called a self-evident truth, an axiom. And axioms can't be argued. And once people start to argue axioms, they're taking out the bottom block of the tower. The most uh, artistic version of this, of the Leopold and Lowe murders, was Alfred Hitchcock's rope. And Alfred Hitchcock's rope is essentially shot in one long shot. They had to, uh, if you watch the movie, people pass in front of the camera, because in those days, every I think it was every 12 minutes, they had to reload the camera, I think it is. Uh, and, and here, Jimmy Stewart plays the professor who has taught these two young boys. The picture starts with a murder, and through the entire movie, they're in this one apartment building, and a body is in a trunk. The body that they, these two boys have killed is in a trunk, and, uh, and Jimmy Stewart comes over, and he plays the professor who has taught them Nietzsche. He's taught them the ideas that have led them to murder, and here's Stewart before he realizes what he's done, uh, showing the arrogance of the intellectual. Now, you don't really approve of murder, Rupert. If I may. You may, and I do. Think of the problems it would solve. Unemployment, poverty, standing in line for theater tickets. I must say I've had a perfectly dreadful time getting tickets for that new musical. What's it called? You know. The something with what's-her-name. <laughs> My dear Miss Atwater, careful application of the trigger finger and a pair of seats in the first row is yours for the shooting. And have you had any difficulty in getting into our Velvet Rope restaurants? Frightful. A very simple matter. A flick of the knife, madame. And if you'll kindly step this way, oh no, a step over the head waiter's body. 
Thank you. And here's your table. <laughs> Rupert, you're the end. There's a hotel clerk I could cheerfully flick a knife at. Oh, no. Sorry. Knives may not be used on hotel employees. They are in the death by slow torture category. Oh. <laughs> along with bird lovers, small children, and tap dancers. <laughs> Landlords, of course, are another matter. You're seeking an apartment? Call on our Miss Sashweight of the Blunt <laughs> Instrument Department. <laughs> very, you know, fashionable, arrogant, and what he doesn't know is that the, the murder that he has inspired has already taken place in the whole, through the whole film, the body is in the trunk. It really, it's actually, it's, it's not one of Hitchcock's greatest films, but it's one of his most interesting films. And finally, I mean, this is not all of them. There are about two or three more of these, but Barbet Schroeder, is that how you pronounce it? Babbitt? Barbet Schroeder, yeah. Um, he, he made a wonderful film called Single White Female, an excellent thriller, but this was a much less recognized film. It's not, it's not, it's got a lot of flaws in it. It's Sandra Bullock and the young, um, what's his name? Uh, young Ryan Gosling, yeah. As, uh, and Ryan Gosling and Michael Pitt play the two boys. It's called Murder by Numbers. In this, the homosexual element is kind of taken out. Uh, it's a murder of a young woman, but it's the same thing. And here is Michael Pitt in his classroom giving a speech about the Nietzschean Superman and Ryan Gosling uh, kind of challenging him as a, as a nerd. Doesn't anyone want to challenge Justin's thesis? Are you all willing to submit to this Darwinian struggle of competing egos? Any other question? Oh, Mr. Haywood, you're awake. <laughs> Let's hear it. Uh, yeah, what's a dork like you know about power? <laughs> what would an ignoramus like you know about philosophy? You could civil, please. <laughs> what are you talking about? Are you talking about crime? Good question. You should wake up more often, Haywood. <laughs> what about it, Justin? All real freedom risks crime. Indeed, freedom is crime because it thinks first of itself and not of the group. Thank you, Justin. Very daring. Very daring. Very daring. <laughs> I just I bring this up because it's it's a story that has to be told again and again and again. People always, especially intellectuals, think that somehow they have thought their way out of the moral order, but the moral order lives. Uh, who was it? It was Kant who said the, the two things that we know are the starry skies above and the moral law within. And I think that um, that we know those exist. We can't prove those exist. They are the basis for everything we think. And so when you feel that you are being destroyed intellectually, that your moral, the moral order is being destroyed by intellectuals, just remember, it's easy to destroy things with logic. Logic can prove a lot of things that just aren't true once you get rid of the axioms, once you get rid of the self-evident truths. The Clavenless Weekend is about to begin, but you can stave it off by subscribing to another kingdom. Sebastian Gorka likes it. What else do you have to know? I mean, come on. This former aide to the president is listening to another kingdom. I think that's a pretty good recommendation. We're going to end with uh, Walk the Moon. They've got this cute new song that just is a flashback to the 80s, really, called Shut Up and Dance with Me. It's really kind of uh, it's, it's fun, and the, uh, the video is really fun to watch. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. Survivors of the Clavenless Weekend gather here on Monday. You are